This is The Churches the World, Chapter 2, Episode 3. The Various Creation Stories from Around the World. For those of you listening when the episode is originally released, you know that it's the week of Christmas 2015. And as a little Christmas gift from me to you, I'm recounting several creation stories from around the globe, just not the one from Genesis. That will be next week. It should come as no surprise that nearly every culture has a creation story, as we all, especially in the days before the distractions of the internet and television, were left to spend our nights wondering how we all got here. What may come as a bit of surprise are the similarities from across the globe, as well as the differences from the Israelites' neighbors. So let's get started. Mesopotamia is a region essentially between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in present-day Syria, Iraq, and Kuwait. It is also the region to the north and east of where the Israelites originated and resettled. This region spawned several creation stories that were similar to each other, but different from the Hebrew story. From the record that has been pieced together from archaeological evidence, there seem to be two main ideas about the origin of man associated with ancient Mesopotamia. According to their ancient traditions, there were many gods with specialized tasks who existed before humans. In fact, no single myth addressed the issues of initial creation. It was simply assumed that the gods existed before the world was formed. Their gods were both male and female and had very human-like traits. For example, they lived on earth and had to eat and work. In fact, they worked very hard growing their food to eat. They did not enjoy this work and sought a solution for the problem. Ea, their god of fresh water, who was respected for his wisdom, was sought out in his underwater house by the other gods. He proposed creating beings that would do the work of the gods for them. Therefore, Ea gathered wet clay from around his home and shaped them into humans. He gave them life by breathing upon them, but unlike the gods, these creatures had a finite lifespan. The humans he created were the servants of the gods and did their work in the fields providing food and water. Then there is Samaria, in present-day southern Iraq. Unfortunately, very little survives of Sumerian literature from the 3rd millennia BC. But there are several fragmentary tablets that contain references to a time before the pantheon of gods, when only the earth and heavens existed. All was dark, as there was neither sunlight nor moonlight. However, the earth was green and water was in the ground, but there was no vegetation. More is known from Sumerian poems that date to the 2nd millennia BC. A Sumerian myth known as Gilgamesh in the Netherworld opens with a prologue. It assumes that the gods in the universe already existed and that once a long time ago the heavens and the earth were united, only later to be split apart. Later, humankind was created and the great gods divided up the job of managing and keeping control over heavens, earth, and the Netherworld. The origins of humans are described in another early 2nd millennium Sumerian stories found on clay tablets. On these tablets, it was written that humans grew from the earth, similar to a plant. The most notable story, called The Myth of the Creation of the Ho, describes this event, where the god Enlil created the earth. This act was done in order to make room for the seeds to come up, and using a hoe, Enlil dug a hole from which humans eventually grew. In the Sumerian poem, The Debate Between Grain and Sheep, the earth first appeared barren, without grain, sheep, or goats. People went naked. They ate grass and drank water from ditches. Later, the gods created sheep and grain and gave them to humankind as sustenance. 
According to another Sumerian story, the debate between bird and fish from the same time period, water for human consumption did not exist until Enki, Lord of Wisdom, created the Tigris and Euphrates and caused water to flow into them from the mountains. He also established sheepfolds, marshes, and reed beds, and filled them with fish and birds. He founded cities and established a kingship to rule over the foreign countries. Another 2nd millennia BC Sumerian myth titled Enki in the World Order provides an explanation as to why the world appears organized. Enki decided that the world had to be well managed to avoid chaos. Various gods were thus assigned management responsibilities that included overseeing the waters, crops, building activities, control of wildlife, and herding of domestic animals, as well as the oversight of the heavens and the earth and the activities of women. In the same region, the Babylonians compiled separate Sumerian descriptions of the creation of the universe, and this became their creation story, known as Enuma Elish, and has been found on clay tablets. These tablets were written in the 7th century BC, but the origin of the text is believed to go back to at least 1500 BC when Babylon was the dominant city of the region. The myth itself has over 1,000 lines written on seven tablets. The story begins with two watery entities, one male and one female, named Absup, meaning freshwater, and the other named Taimat, meaning saltwater. With their union, a variety of sea monsters and gods were created. In the ensuing chaos, Taimat, the female creator, tries to take control. Her descendants unite against her, choosing one of their number, Marduk, the god of Babylon, to lead them. Armed with a hurricane and riding a tempest drawn by four fiery horses, Marduk meets Tamut and her evil accomplice Kingu in battle. Marduk summarily kills them both. He splits the monstrous corpse of Tamut into two parts. From half of her he creates the heaven, from the other half the earth. In heaven he constructs a dwelling place for his peers, the gods. Marduk stretches her skin to the heavens to prevent the waters from escaping, a motif that explains why there is so little rainfall in southern Iraq. He also created the stars. In doing so, he designated the zones of constellations of stars and thereby created the year. He made the moon shine, and that's two words. After all, this is the Middle East, not Appalachia. And he also created vegetation. Then, seeing wars among other gods, and knowing that the defeated should serve the victorious, Marduk decided to create humankind, using the blood of Kingu to create the first man. No god, he decided, should be a servant. Instead, it would be the place of humans to serve the gods. When we go a little further south and to the west, we land in Egypt. There are several creation stories that originate from there, each attached to rival gods. The most common one begins with Nun, the primeval ocean from which Amon rises in splendor. He takes the name Re, thus in effect merging two rival deities. He then produces a divine son and daughter. These two breed a race of gods, while the tears of Amon-Ri become mankind. Man's poor behavior soon persuades the Creator to withdraw from earthly affairs. He leaves the earth and retires to the heavens where he reigns as the sun. Then the story gets more complex, with variations springing up around different cities. These different creation myths have some elements in common. They all held that the world had arisen out of the lifeless waters of chaos called Nu, spelled N-U. They also included a pyramid-shaped mound called the Ben-Ben, which was the first thing to emerge from the waters. 
These elements were probably inspired by the annual flooding of the Nile River, with the receding floodwaters leaving the soil fertile. The Egyptians may have equated this with the emergence of life from primeval chaos. The imagery of the pyramidal mound derived from the mounds of soil emerging as the river receded. The sun was also closely associated with their version of creation. And it was said to have first risen from the mound as the general sun god Ra, or as the god Capri, who represented the newly risen sun. There were many variant stories concerning the creation of the sun, with some saying that it emerged directly from the mound or from a lotus flower that grew from the mound, among many others. Another common element of the Egyptian creation myths is the figure of the cosmic egg. No kidding. A substitute for primeval waters are the primeval mound. Ra, the sun god, was contained within an egg laid upon this mound by a celestial bird. In the earliest version of this myth, the bird is a goose, with no corresponding explanation on the source of that goose. However, after the rise of the cult of Toth, the egg was said to have been the gift from Toth and laid by an ibis, a waiting bird native to the region and also the bird Toth was associated with. The creation myth in the city of Hermopolis focused on the nature of the universe before the creation of the world. The inherent qualities of the primeval waters were represented by a set of eight gods known as the Ogdode. According to the myth, the eight gods were originally divided into male and female groups. They were symbolically depicted as aquatic creatures because they dwelt within the water. These two groups eventually converged, resulting in a great upheaval, which produced the pyramid-shaped mound from which the sun rose. In Heliopolis, the creation was attributed to Etum. Etum was the source of all the elements and forces in the world, and the Heliopolitan myth described the process by which he evolved from a single being into this multiplicity of elements. He then created two lesser gods, the male Shu and the female Tefnut. Next, Shu and Tefnut coupled to produce the earth god Geb and the sky goddess Nut, who defined the limits of the world. Geb and Nut, in turn, gave rise to four children who represented the forces of life. Osisiris, the god of fertility and regeneration, Isis, and yes, it is spelled the same as the other Isis, the goddess of motherhood, and a god each for men and women. The myth thus represented the process by which life was made possible. These nine gods were grouped together theologically as the Enid, but the eight lesser gods and all other things in the world were ultimately seen as extensions of Atom. And, thankfully, there will not be a quiz on all of that. The Memphite version of creation centered on Ptah, who was the patron god of craftsmen. As such, he represented the craftsman's ability to shape raw materials into a finished product. The Memphite theology said that Ptah created the world in a similar way. This, unlike the other Egyptian creations, was not a physical but an intellectual creation by the word and the mind of Ptah. The ideas developed within Ptah's heart, remembering that the Egyptians believed that thoughts occurred in the heart and not in the head. These things were given form when he named them with his tongue. By speaking these names, Ptah produced the gods and all other things. The Memphite creation myth coexisted with that of Heliopolis, as Ptah's creative thoughts and speech were believed to have caused the formation of Atum and the Enid. Theban theology claimed that Amon was not merely a god, but the hidden force behind all things. One Theban myth likened Amon's creation to the call of a goose, which broke the stillness of the primeval waters and caused the Ogdad and Enid to form. 
Amun was separated from the world, and his true nature was concealed even from the other gods. At the same time, however, because he was the ultimate source of creation, all the gods, including the other creators, were in fact merely aspects of Amun. Amun eventually became the supreme god of the Egyptian pantheon because of this belief. This mythology of Amun helps explain the growth of Thebes as a major religious capital. Thebes was also thought of as the location of the emergence of the primeval mound at the beginning of time. The creation myths from India are about as complex as those from Egypt, and are primarily due to the purported 330 million Hindu gods. Take that number with a grain of salt, though, as many of their gods have several names and several forms. The Hindu creation stories range from themes such as dismembered giants and magical eggs to doubts as to the possibility of knowledge on such a matter. In an ancient story, Purusa is an early man who the gods sacrificed as the act of creation. The sky sprang from his head, the earth from his feet, the sun from his eye, and the moon from his mind. The four major castes of Hindu society also derived from his body. The birds and animals came from the fat which dripped from him during the sacrifice. A much later Indian story involves the god Brahma. Beginning from nothing, he goes through a lengthy process. First he creates, by thoughts alone, the waters. In them he deposits his seed, which grows into a golden egg. He himself is born in the egg. After a year, again by thought alone, he splits the egg in two. The halves become the heaven and the earth. But Indian philosophy also produces a less literal response to these eternal mysteries. One of the hymns in the Rigveda, an ancient Indian collection of Vedic Sanskrit hymns dating to around 1500 BC, considers various cosmic forces which might have fashioned the universe. It ultimately concludes with the passage, in quoting, But after all, who knows? And who can say whence it all came? And how the creation happened? End quote. The Greeks' creation story is an extremely complex account of how everything began, with the various gods fighting for a role. As I recount this story, keep in mind that this one is thought to have originated around the year 800 BC, far later than the other creation stories from the same region. Knowing this, it should become clear how their myth was influenced by the other earlier ones. Zeus, the ruler of the sky, eventually emerges as the leader of the gods. The story begins, like so many others, with a gaping emptiness known as chaos. Within this, there emerges Gaia, the Earth. Gaia gives birth to a son, Uranus, who is the sky. The world now exists, Earth and Heaven, and together Gaia and Uranus provide it with the population, their children. First, Gaia produces the Titans, heroic male and female figures. But her next offspring are less satisfactory. The Cyclops, with only one eye in the middle of their foreheads, and are followed by what are unmistakably monsters with a surplus of heads and arms. Uranus, appalled by his offspring, buries them in the depths of the earth. Gaia is shocked. She persuades the youngest titan, known as Cronus, to attack his father. Cronus surprises Uranus in his sleep and with a sharp sickle cuts off various body parts and throws them into the sea. Cronus frees his brothers and sisters from their dungeon and together they continue to populate the world. But an inability of the fathers to get along with their offspring characterizes this so-called family. Cronus, who has six children with his sister Rey, devours them as soon as each is born. Once again, maternal instincts intervene, 
To save her youngest child, Ray wraps a stone in swaddling clothes. Cronus swallows the bundle and Ray sends the baby to foster parents. The baby's name is Zeus. As an adult, he overwhelms his father, defeats all the other titans in a great war, and then settles upon Mount Olympus to preside over a world which has at last achieved a certain calm. During all of this, without explanation, mankind arrives on Earth. Prometheus, a titan, smuggles them the valuable gift of fire. But these first men are not considered the direct ancestors of modern man, and there are several versions of how the present race of humans originated. One is that Zeus, exasperated by Prometheus, sends a flood to drown mankind. Two humans escape in an ark. When the flood had subsided, the oracle at Delphi told these two to cast behind them the bones of their first ancestor. That ancestor, they reasoned, was Gaia, the earth. They threw stones over their shoulders, and from each stone a human being was created. There will be more on this flood story when I cover Noah. Like the Christian and Jewish story of creation, the Islamic story is spaced out over six periods. Various parts of the Quran state that the process of creation took six days, while other parts provide more detail about the creation. Specifically, two days to create the earth, two days to create the mountains, to bless the earth and to measure its sustenance, all totaling four days, and then two more days to create the heavens and the stars. According to the Quran, the skies and the earth were joined together as one unit of creation, after which they were split into two parts. After the parting, they assumed a smoke-like state, then simultaneously came into their present shapes. The Quran states that God created the world and the cosmos, and he made all the creatures that walk, swim, crawl, and fly from water. He made the angels, the sun, moon, and the stars to dwell in the universe. He poured down the rain in torrents and broke up the soil to bring forth the grain, the grapes, and other vegetation, the olive and the palm, the fruit trees, and the grass. Some sources maintain that the Quran claims that God made corn, which of course is true, he did make corn, but that corn, as we know it, was unknown to Muhammad when he wrote the Quran. God molded clay, earth, sand, and water into the model of a man. He breathed life and power into it, and it immediately sprang to life. And this first man was called Adam. God took Adam to live in paradise and made a wife for him from his side. The Quran does not give any more details of her creation. She is sometimes referred to as Hawa in commentaries, but in the Quran itself she has no name. Additionally, some Muslim commentaries on the Quran use the biblical suggestion that she was made from Adam's rib. God taught Adam the names of all the creatures and then commanded all the angels to bow down before Adam. All of them bowed, but Iblis, also known as Lucifer, refused to obey, claiming that his fiery nature was superior to Adam's flesh, which was made of clay. Iblis represents the first refusal to obey God's will. God then cast Iblis out of his paradise, and Iblis vowed to tempt Adam and his wife's generations to corruption and to disobey God. In contrast with Christian traditions, which sees Satan as a rebelling angel, Islamic tradition identifies him with a being called a genie, essentially a spirit made of fire. In these Islamic traditions, angels consist of light and never disobey God, since they do not have free will. Thus, it is said that angels are incapable of sin. On the opposite end, God created genies with free will, and they may choose to obey him or not, similar to the case of the human being. 
Chapter 20 of the Quran tells the story of Adam's temptation by Satan to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. Here the story is similar to that in Genesis, although the woman is not labeled as the one who gives in to the temptation. The differences between the Quran and Genesis then become more critical in terms of the differences between Muslim and Judeo-Christian belief and doctrine. In the Quran, Adam and his wife are thrown out of paradise and banished to the earth. But then they ask God for forgiveness and tell him, quoting, We have sinned against our own souls. End quote. In the Quran, Adam and his wife don't fall from grace, neither do their actions mean that all mankind needs redemption from sin. Some Islamic sources state that the test of temptation was given to judge when Adam and his wife would be able to make choices and therefore be ready to be sent to live a life on earth. Iblis tempted them to disobey God and eat the fruit. When God knew that Adam and his wife had disobeyed him and had made a choice, he cast them out of paradise and sent them to the earth, since they were ready to live on their own. Islam also breaks somewhat with Judaism and Christianity in explaining how Adam and his wife ate their forbidden fruit. In the actual Hebrew account in Genesis, a serpent tempts them to eat the fruit. Extra-biblical Christian stories identify the serpent with a snake, and also with Satan. But the actual text of the biblical story does not explicitly make these identifications. In contrast, the Quran states explicitly that Lucifer tempted Adam and his wife to eat the fruit. On the other side of the world, there are also various creation stories. The Apache, a Native American tribe who lived in what is now Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas, Southern Colorado, and Northern Mexico, had a story where in the beginning, there was only Tipu and Gukamats, a feathered serpent. These two sat together and thought, and whatever they thought came into being. They thought earth, and there it was. They thought mountains, and so there were. They thought trees and sky and animals, and each came into being. But none of these things could praise them, so they formed more advanced beings of clay. But these beings fell apart when they got wet, so they made beings out of wood, but they proved unsatisfactory and caused trouble on the earth. The gods sent a great flood to wipe out these beings so they could start over. With the help of the mountain lion, coyote, parrot, and crow, they fashioned four new beings. These four beings performed well and are the ancestors of the Apache. The Lakota Native American tribe, who lived in present-day Nebraska and the Dakotas, believed that there was another world before this one. But the people of that world did not behave themselves. Displeased, the creating power set out to make a new world. He sang several songs to bring rain, which poured stronger with each song. As he sang the fourth song, the earth split apart and water gushed up through the many cracks, causing a flood. By the time the rain stopped, all of the people and nearly all the animals had drowned. Only Kangji, the crow, survived. Kangji pleaded with the creating power to make him a new place to rest. So the creating power decided the time had come to make his new world. From his huge pipe bag, which contained all types of animals and birds, the creating power selected four animals known for their ability to remain underwater for a long period of time. He sent each in turn to retrieve a lump of mud from beneath the floodwaters. First, the loon dove deep into the dark waters, but was unable to reach the bottom. The otter, even with its strong webbed feet, also failed. Next, the beaver used its large flat tail to propel itself deep under the water but it too brought nothing back. Finally, the creating power took the turtle from his pipe bag and urged it to bring back some mud. 
The turtle stayed underwater for so long that everyone was sure it had drowned. Then, with a splash, the turtle broke the water's surface. Mud filled its feet and claws and the cracks between its upper and lower shells. While singing, the creating power shaped the mud in his hands and spread it over the water, where it was just big enough for himself and the crow. He then shook two long eagle wing feathers over the mud until earth spread wide and buried, overcoming the waters. Feeling sadness for the dry land, the creating power cried tears that became oceans, streams, and lakes. He named the new land Turtle Continent, in honor of the turtle who provided the mud from which it was formed. The creating power then took many animals and birds from his great pipe bag and spread them across the earth. From red, white, black, and yellow earth, he made men and women. The creating power gave the people his sacred pipe and told them to live by it. He warned them about the fate of the people who came before them. And he promised all would be well if all living things learned to live in harmony. But the world would be destroyed again if they made it bad and ugly. The Comanche Native American tribe, who lived in present-day New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, believed in the Great Spirit. One day, the Great Spirit collected swirls of dust from the four directions in order to create the Comanche people. These people formed from the earth had the strength of mighty storms. Unfortunately, a shape-shifting demon was also created and began to torment the people. The Great Spirit cast the demon into the bottomless pit. To seek revenge, the demon took refuge in the fangs and stingers of poisonous creatures and continues to harm the people every chance it gets. The Potawatomi Native American tribe lived in what is present-day Michigan and Wisconsin and also held a belief in a single deity. The man, Anishinaabe, found himself alone on Earth. The Creator told him to give everything a name, and he did this while accompanied by a wolf. He discovered that only he, among the many species, was alone, without a mate, and therefore he was lonely. He traveled to the Great Lakes, and while searching, heard a beautiful song coming across the water. It was a woman's voice that was singing, and she was singing that she was making a home for him. He immediately fell in love with the voice and with the song. In the days that followed, he learned how to cross the water and finally came to a lodge facing west. There lived a beautiful woman and her father, the Firekeeper. This was the first union, Anishabi, and the Firekeeper's daughter. It determined the roles of men and women in marriage. They had four sons, who when they were grown, traveled to the four directions of the earth. The son who traveled north had a hard journey, but he learned that the melting snow cleansed Mother Earth. Because of the snow, the color for the north is white. This son married the daughter of the spirit of the north and was given sweet grass, the first gift of Mother Earth. It was kept in a braid like a mother's hair. The second son traveled east into the yellow of the rising sun. He learned that fire is the essence of life and gained in the knowledge of the Creator. He married the daughter of the spirit of the east and was given tobacco to use in prayer while communicating with the Creator. Third son went to the south which is the direction from which comes the seeds and other things that give life. Red, the color of life's blood, is the color for South. He married the spirit of the South's daughter and was given the gift of cedar, which is used to cleanse and purify the home and prepare for food. The fourth son went west, towards the mountains. Marrying the spirit of the West's daughter, he was given sage and learned that the setting sun represents the circle of life in its cycle. The color for West is black, for the dark time, and the sage, a strong purifier, 
is to keep illness away. Smoke from the cedar and sage is fanned upward with an eagle feather because the eagle once saved the Indian people when the Creator would have destroyed them. The eagle told the Creator that there were faithful people on earth and was sent out each morning to see if the smoke still rose from the lodges of those good people. Fanning the smoke with the eagle feather symbolizes the eagle delivering the message to the Creator that his people are still there and still believe. So you may be asking, what's my point in recounting these various stories from across the world? If you think about it, the stories that should seem most similar to that in Genesis, since they arose in very close proximity, from similar people living in similar circumstances, are actually not similar at all to the story in Genesis. These are the Greek, Egyptian, Mesopotamian, and Babylonian stories. Remembering back just a few minutes, they involved many gods who were seemingly always fighting with one another. But then there are those from the other side of the world that bear more resemblance to what we find in Genesis than did those geographically close stories. And to make the plot even more interesting, all of the Native American stories were definitely passed on by oral tradition. Since the only written type language in the Americas was that of the Mayans and their close neighbors. And one more thing to keep in mind. I don't want you to believe that I think any of these creation stories are true. We'll get to that one next week. So that's the episode for this week. Join me next week when I'll recount the creation story, or perhaps stories, as presented in the book of Genesis. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at thechurchestheworld.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at thechurchestheworld.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase The Church is the World as four separate words. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. And a Merry Christmas.